This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. Sounds like the new mic is working. Jesus was born into a culture where religious leaders were meticulous with the law that God had through Moses given Israel. Public schools, think of this, public schools taught Scripture. That was their main purpose, to teach the Word of God. And those that showed an interest and ability uh, could go on to further, deeper study, even studying with the most experts on the law and the religious leaders at that time and special places to do that. Higher education, studying under respected rabbis. Synagogues in cities and towns across the country and well beyond, as we know, up into, you know, around the Mediterranean coast, uh, well beyond just Judea, taught God's law throughout the week, but especially on the Holy Sabbath. And in Jerusalem, sacrifices were made daily at the temple. And Jerusalem played host to massive crowds on the holy feast days that journeyed there from all over. The law was held in high regard, and its finer points were debated by the most senior experts at the time, and different divisions of people and groups existed because people thought it was important enough to hold strong opinions. In spite of the oppression of the Roman Empire, strict adherence to the law was well emphasized. And all the Jews needed, and indeed waited for, was Mashiach, the Messiah, to come and liberate them from foreign rule, reestablishing their nation's sovereignty. And come he did. And he told them they had so much of that wrong. So much of it was all wrong. How could that be? In the 90s, the computer company Apple, uh, especially in the early days, had, had really been struggling. Steve Jobs had been uh, let go, and as part of the struggling, uh, he was brought back on to the company that he started. Put back in the leadership position, and under his um, direction, they started a new marketing campaign. He, uh, He objected completely to the one that everybody else was considering, for Apple. Apple, we're back. He said, no, that's, that's silly. We're not back. 
<laughs> and reissued our request to other marketing companies and went with something that sticks on some of the boxes today. Think different. Jesus came to tell the religious leaders and to show, to exemplify, that they needed to think different. Think differently about the law that they valued, that they treasured, but that they chopped and sliced and diced up into all sorts of little pieces and manipulated and put a lot of structure around and got caught up in mechanics of things. Jesus came as the Messiah different than they were expecting, right? He came as a baby born and laid in a feed trough and in stables. That was different. And his birth was heralded not to the religious leaders of the day, but, but to shepherds out in the fields that night. As a boy, Jesus told his parents, who had frantically searched for three days, worrying that they had lost him, it's like, well, why, why, why were you running around looking for me in all these different places? Didn't, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Why, why wouldn't that have just been first on your mind? You're not thinking right He came touching lepers. There's one thing you don't do. You, you, don't, you don't get close to lepers. Certainly not back then, right? That's, that's, that's the, the rules. I mean, they had to broadcast unclean, unclean, so that you could get a you know, good head start staying away from them. But the, you certainly didn't touch them. Jesus came touching lepers. This was different. He came talking about, you don't take a piece of cloth from a new garment to patch an old one. He came talking about, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Okay, right? Trying to help them. And he came teaching different. And the people said, wow, he, he teaches as one having authority. This, this man is different. The Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That doesn't sound like blessings. Not before. 
He says he had this way of, uh, of talking about things. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you this, an eye for an eye. No, no, not, not I say no. <laughs> not that. It's different. Regarding the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes and Sadducees, he said, with the very stern warning, beware. Beware the teaching of the Pharisees, the leaven, as he referred to it. It works into the dough and it can spread. And some things are good to spread, like the kingdom of God. But the teaching of the Pharisees was not. After all that study, and after all that work that that culture had put in and invested to their religious leaders, Jesus said, oh, stay away from that. So this morning, I want to say first of all, that I'm proud and glad that we put as much emphasis on the Word of God that we do. We try to stay with what the Bible says. We don't want to add anything to it, and we certainly don't want to take anything away from it. We want to take the Word of God as God intended it. We don't judge it. It judges us, right? But how do we read it? I dare say that the Pharisees probably thought that all of those things that we do, that yes, the word of God is very important. And yet, Jesus showed them that, hey, y'all take commandments of God and you, you toss them to the side so that you can replace them with your own commandments, with your own regulations and teachings and rules. It can be easy to do, hence the warning. So we'll take a few examples this morning, just a couple really. And we'll read through there and we'll just look at some of the differences. The Pharisee way and the Jesus way, okay? And uh, we'll use that as just a way to encourage us to be careful with how we read the scriptures. I'll be in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, I ask him two questions here. First, what's, what's written in the law? And second, is what is your reading of it? What's your understanding of it? How do, how do you read it in a, in a few other versions? Or how does it read to you? So the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, that sounds really good. I mean, right? I mean they, they, you can't get better than one of Jesus' own answers himself, right? Jesus was once asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' answer was kind of a two-for-one deal, right? Love the, the same thing. The greatest is love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he threw in, he pushed it right in behind it, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a really good answer. And Jesus, Jesus says to the lawyer, and you have answered rightly. That's right. Bingo. We've got a winner. Do this and you will live. Maybe that should have been the end of it. Because verse 29 is, but he, but the lawyer. Sometimes we just need to know when to stop talking, right? But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And it's, it's a simple question, right? Especially when you've got the scripture right there and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, well, it's almost a natural question, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor. And this is where things get deeper. This is where we finally get into that, uh, how do you understand it? And in fact, just asking the question starts bringing his understanding to light. This is also the point at, things at which things really go wrong. I mean, you can say that when, he's, when he asked the question to begin with, he's testing, he's doing it to test the Lord. So he's, he's, off, he's starting off wrong to begin with. But this is where now he's like in his vehicle and he's like just spinning out of control down the interstate, okay? This is, we're gone off the rails at this point. Because from here, you can go all sorts of different directions. You know, it's spinning out of control. You can shoot off in all these different kind of directions. And we can all, we can all have these fantastic discussions about, you know, what, well, what's my, what is my neighbor? You know, who, who is my neighbor? Is, is, it, is it the people that I know? Is it, is it the people that I live next to? Is there a proximity here? Is it, is it a nationality? You know, are all my neighbors Jews and the, the Gentiles are not my neighbors? I mean, we, you know, we start... <clears throat> and, 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 you know, all of us over here could say, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's people that, that we know or that we live by. And there's people, no, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a proximity. If you're close enough to a person, then that person is your name or, or maybe it needs a nationality. And we can have division over the question of who is my neighbor. And the answer is that we'd all be wrong. We'd all, all of us would be wrong. The question itself is a trap. It tricks its hearers into thinking about the wrong thing. 
you know, the, the Pharisees had this concept, you know, they, they, t- they taught about, you know, the Sabbath day, no work on the Sabbath day. Okay, well, what does it mean to have no work? And you can see, here we go again, you know, well, let's, let's, let's pick this apart. It can't just be, don't work, <laughs> right? Do, it can't just be, you know, relax from yourself from your occupation on the, the Sabbath day. It, it has to be specific. And so they came up with all these different rules and regulations. I mean, you couldn't spit, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't walk too far. You had a Sabbath day's journey, and if you took a step beyond that, well, you know, that's a, a sin. And, and, but, you know, of course, that's not convenient, right? It's because it's all these regulations. So then they, then they had ways to sort of manipulate and get around the, the rules that they created so you could have... Um, some Pharisees, they would, they would maybe place food in parts of the city. And on that Sabbath day, then that spot would become their Sabbath day home, their domicile, if you will, for that day. And so because they could travel a Sabbath day's journey you know, to, their, to their house, then they get up and say, okay, my house or my domicile today is, is there. And then they could go there, and then they could go that distance again out, away from that. And so then they, they basically double the distance. See, it's like clever accounting tricks, really. <laughs> is, that, wait, wait, is, that, is that capitalizable, or do you have to expense that? You know, what's, <laughs> or, uh, thinking about the wrong thing. So Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. And then passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. That's quite, that's quite a difference, isn't it? I like the way the ands keep going on that. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went and bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him, and he gave two denarii to the innkeeper for him to take care of him, and he told him, you know, if you spend anything else when I'll get back, he's coming back. (laughs) I mean, that says something right there, doesn't it? He's coming back, and when I get back, whatever expenses you've had, I'll reimburse you. So Jesus asks the lawyer, 
Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Which was the neighbor? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. It's like the question itself was evil. Who is my neighbor? Because the question itself starts carving out and you know, including people that I care about. And then the people outside of that, I'm not worried about. I don't care about those people. It's limiting. It limits my obligation. And maybe I like that. I don't have to be, oh, that person, I don't know that person. So I don't have to, you know, love that person as myself. Or that person's too far away. Maybe that was what the Pharisees were thinking when they crossed over to the side. Well, if I just stay far enough away from him, then he's not my neighbor. More of his just not the same nationality, right? Yeah, if he... He's not a Jew, then he's not my neighbor. Either way you go, though, it's like you're targeting people that you don't have to love. But Jesus takes that question, and like the master teacher that he is, he fixes it. He takes his own question, and he fixes it. It's not about, well, who is my neighbor? It's like, mm, turn that sideways and bend that back, straighten it back out like it's supposed to. Who was a neighbor? How can you be a neighbor? How can you be neighborly? How can I be sure to recognize and engage the opportunities to be a neighbor? I think that may be you know, the ongoing question for us. How can we be sure to recognize these opportunities? You know, it's not like every day I go to work and I see somebody on the side of the road that's fell among thieves, right? Beaten half to death. We are certainly not going to try to come up with rules about, you know, every possible case you run into. How can we be aware of the people around us? How can we be watchful? For opportunities where people have need. How can I be sure to engage those opportunities rather than avoid them? I feel like maybe the Pharisees had gotten really good at avoiding any obligations. You know, if I, just, if I just don't go there, then I won't, I won't see any opportunities for need. If I just don't talk to those people, then I won't know that they're hurting or that they need anything and that they need help. I can just, you know, step back and disengage so that I won't feel obligated. Who's the hero in the parable? 
right? It's the Samaritan. Unexpected source of compassion and rescue who went well beyond what we would have expected. Who are the villains in the parable? The priest and the Levite. Those who should have helped, but who didn't. Who were expected to help, but they avoided him. Those who knew better and did not show compassion. They did not love that helpless soul. What about the thieves, though? I mean, aren't they the first villains? It's like we don't even, they just sort of get swept into the background of bad things that happen to people. You know, maybe it was thieves that day. Maybe the next day it's their car engine blew up on them or something like that. Who, who knows? But the villains were those who did nothing. They didn't do anything. The ones who don't love do nothing. Jesus' two-for-one answer uh, about the greatest commandment, you know, I... He, it's like, it's like the, 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 the religious leaders, they wanted to know, you know, what's, what, they wanted a categories, you know, added structure, maybe hierarchy to these laws. And Jesus, yeah, this is, the, this is the first one. But he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he doesn't leave it at that. Then he teaches them something. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You can go through the, I mean, Ten Commandments and pretty much just sort of draw a line. Like, okay, here are the ones that are, you know, subject, you know, loving God, and here are the ones that are about loving my neighbor. This concept of loving God and loving your neighbor it's the foundation. It's the underpinning, underpinning for all of, all of these, these rules or, or laws. Even the one, what about the one about, you know, not muzzling the ox? You know, isn't that about loving the ox? <laughs> Don't muzzle the ox when you tread out the grain. You know, that way the, the ox... Why do you? Because you don't want the ox eating up some of the grain. You know, it's basically God saying, don't be a penny pincher. <laughs> Let some of that go slip through the cracks for those less fortunate. Even the ox that's doing the work. And Paul says, you know, really, it's not about the ox. It's about other people. May that spirit of mercy and generosity and gratitude, may that flow through you and out of you. Jesus came to tell them that it was time to think different. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But... I say to you, no, it's different. 
Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and send rains on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Or is the way the, the preacher in the movie Woodlawn, I, I really like that movie, Woodlawn, if you haven't seen it. He says, if you only love those who love you back, what kind of love is that? Think about it. Jesus came challenging the Pharisees' concept of defilement. Eating with unwashed hands. They had ceremonies for, for pots and copper bowls, maybe even the couches that you could eat on and, and, and stuff. And Jesus came to tell them differently. Mark 7, some of the Pharisees and some of the scribes, they, they caught some of Jesus' disciples eating with one-washed hands. And verse 3 of, of Mark 7 says, they found fault. They found fault. I, I'm guessing they did that a lot, especially with all the extra rules they had, right? And Jesus explains to his disciples, verse 18, whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him. It can't happen because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is then eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Or your translation may say, thereby he declared all foods clean. Same difference. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. That doesn't come from the food. <laughs> evil thoughts defile a person. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit. Lewdness, envy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a man. So Jesus declared all foods clean. That's the end of it. Eat whatever you want. Paul reiterates that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But food does not commend us to God. Neither if we eat it are we the better, nor if we do not eat it are we the worse. He's talking specifically about meat and food offered to idols there, but he's also generalizing too. You know, he says, hey, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. It's just an idol. It's a thing. It's a hunk of rock or wood. So, 
That's simple enough, right? Eat whatever you want. But he follows that in verse 9. Beware. It's a warning. Lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, your understanding, your super spirituality, shall the weak brother then perish? For whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Never again? <laughs> whoa, whoa there, Paul. Never eat meat again? That sounds a bit extreme. I thought, you know, I thought we just said that we could eat anything we want. You just said that, Paul. And now you're saying, well, now we can't? What? Can we or can't we? Can I get a black and white ruling here? Is it this hard? Asking the wrong question. It's the wrong question. You know what's extreme? Jesus' love for us. And you know what new commandment he left us with? From John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What's new about that, Jesus? And he says, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You see, before it was love your neighbor as yourself. Ooh, you know. They hadn't been doing that, had they? Now Jesus is ratcheted it up, doesn't he? He takes that bar to the sky, doesn't he? He says, now you love one another as I have loved you. I think one of the, one of the fundamental principles about the love of God it's not just, yeah, I love you. It's an acting love. It's a doing love, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If we're not doing, we're not loving. It's the new commandment. It's the new covenant, right? And it's better. The new covenant is better. Hebrews 7.22, it's better. And this, this is what Jesus meant about 
not cutting up a new garment to patch an old one, right? So you cut up the new garment, you got the new cloth, and you put it on the old garment, and the new cloth isn't shrunk yet. It's, then it's going to shrink and tear away from the, the old garment. Now you've got a new one with holes cut in it, and the old one with the patch pulling off of it, and it's tearing everything. It's, you don't put new wine in, new wine, in old wine skins. The new wine bursts out of the old wineskins. Now you've lost the wineskins and the wine. So now you put, you put the new wine in new wineskins. The old covenant is being fulfilled. And Jesus came to establish a new covenant. It's also why that first miracle had to do with the old wine running out and the wedding in Capernaum, right? And run out of wine. Mary comes. But they have they have no wine. They're out. This is this is scandalous. <laughs> Jesus makes new wine. And the guy, you're right. The, the master of the ceremony comes out and says, "Whoa, hey everybody! <clears throat> Normally, people put the the best wine first. And then after people are well drunk, then they bring out the cheap stuff, right? Because then maybe you can't tell the difference. He said, but, th- th- but, but today, they have saved the best for last. That's what we've got. God saved the best covenant for now. It's the one we're living in. It's better. The new covenant is way better. It's, a lot of it has to do with just the liberty that we have, right? But it's liberty that we're to spend really on each other. Give me just a moment. I want to brag on one of my kids. So, for the past you know, several months, my daughter has been saving up money. Saving up, saving up, saving up. In fact, most of the kids have been saving up money and stuff. And then it's like, ooh, yeah. now it's like, you know, I want to buy something with all of my money. You know, they get, you know, tens of dollars, and they start thinking, ooh, I got something. You know, maybe $100 or $150. Whoa, I can buy some real Legos with that or something, right? Um like, yeah, we could also just almost pay the electric bill for a month with that, too. <laughs> and my daughter, she saves up all this money, and she spends almost all of it for presents on her siblings. That's the heart that God wants us to have to our, to our siblings, right? God says, I've given you all this liberty. Don't blow it all on yourselves. Use it for one another. Love 
everyone, even your enemies. <clears throat> like if we, don't, if we don't do more loving than just what the world does, if we're not any more than just, you know, a good neighbor, you know, maybe he'll pick up, you know, my mail for me or something like that. If we, if we don't do anything more than that, then the world's never going to take notice. There's nothing there to take notice of. So which is it? Can I eat whatever I want or not? Can I attend Razorback football games? Can I go to that concert? Can I watch that movie? Can I read those books? A mature Christian understands this. It's not about me. So I want to leave you with just, just a few bullet points. Be aware of your neighbor. Be aware of the people around you. Be observant. Walk circumspectly. And love them. One person at a time. And children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Look into their wisdom. And submit to that. It's good. It's the right thing to do. And parents, the last thing for us, do you know what will drive our kids away from the church as fast as just about anything? It's hypocrisy. So let's beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The Word of God is a treasure, one we should take so seriously and value Beware hypocrisy. If you're here this morning and the new covenant sounds like it's right for you, and it is, and you want to join into that, if you want to be part of Jesus' body, if you want to have forgiveness of your sins, if you want to Look forward to that home in heaven, to have that peace that surpasses understanding. All of that is rolled up in salvation in Jesus, in his name and his name alone. And now is the time. If you've thought about this, is it time for me to, to be saved? Then we've got water. We can baptize you, wash away your sins today. And then life will be different from here on out. And if you need uh, the prayers of the church, then, hey, we love you and we want to help.
Don't hide it from us. Don't hide. So if that applies to you, please come forward up here as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.